When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the show, we got to take a look at what the Pac-12 hath wrought. My goodness, if there's ever been a McMahon, the moment they are having won. And I am here for it, but I'm always here for the Pac-12 imploding because it's kind of what we're into. Also, we have a new alternative to Clemson I can't wait to talk to you about. And let's get into my top 25 versus the Associated Press top 25, which, you know, basically to lead us into the college football playoff. And yes, we will be talking about it live on Tuesday night once again. But first, we got to start with late Saturday night if you're on the Pacific Coast. And, and frankly, 2 a.m. if you're Central Time like me. You watch Arizona upset, upset number 12 UCLA 34 to 28. I really enjoyed watching this game. A, because I'm still up and there's great football on. And B, because as we're wrapping up the live show from Saturday night, producer Tyler, producer Kat are like, hey, RJ, we got a flag to you. Uh, both Utah and UCLA have decided that they're going to make these into games. Pac-12 after dark stays lit. Now, Utah ends up taking care of Stanford, and really, it was not even close by the end. But I'm watching every bit of Jed Fish absolutely getting after it against Chip Kelly and the dudes. And Jane Delora had said, yes, you might be, but I am so excited about that. That dude was running around for his life, making it happen. They get the upset. Congratulations to the Arizona Wildcats for the doormat of college football, even worse than Kansas a couple of years ago. They are very well and truly back. But this also means that the Pac-12, once again, is not. Holy smokes. Now, for those of y'all listening on the podcast, we got this brilliant tweet from the Associated Press lead college football writer, Ralph Russo, which reads, how perfectly Pac-12, uh, Pac-12 the week before the conference has a chance to match four top 12 teams, three with CFP hopes in two marquee games to lose as double-digit favorites. Yikes. So we're talking about Oregon, Washington, obviously, and then we're talking about UCLA and Arizona, which leads us to this great understanding that we all have, which is basically in the Pac-12 since 2016, they just don't want to play in the college football playoff because nobody is better at cannibalizing itself then the Pac-12 is either before the season gets to November or right as we're going into, hey, you got it all in front of you. All you got to do is win. Talk a little bit more about that as we go into the show. Now, in my rankings versus the Associated Press rankings, let's talk about this off the top. I have UNC as the number nine team in the country, and they have UNC as the number 13 team in the country. Frankly, for me, it's 
how good Carolina's offense has looked over the past eight weeks. Drake May has been playing himself into the Heisman Trophy conversation, and now with Oregon suffering a loss to Washington, he probably takes that spot that was once occupied by Bo Nix. He was outstanding once again in a win for them, two points over Wake Forest. He had over 500 yards of offense. Josh Downs continues to be his favorite offense, uh, excuse me, his favorite offensive weapon. And I'm having fun with the Mac Brown experience down there in Tar Heel land. I also think that if I'm comparing, they lost to Notre Dame earlier in the year. Clemson lost to Notre Dame later in the year. Also, who would have thought I've been saying this, but give this some thought. Drake May is a better quarterback than either DJ Uwe Ungalale or Cade Klubnick. And the last time I looked at this game, you need a great quarterback to win football games. I'm going to take the UNC Tar Heels to beat the Clemson Tigers in the ACC championship because that's going to be the matchup. Another way to take a look at this is I'm actually still okay with UCLA losing to Arizona. A, it's just their second loss of the season. And B, they have outstanding wins against Washington and Utah. Guess who Washington just beat? The presumptive favorite in the Pac-12 championship until yesterday, or a race to the Pac-12 championship. And then a Utah team that everybody believes is good. Actually, they believe that they're so good that they rank them at number 10, six spots ahead of UCLA. Again, I have this, I don't know, maybe it's weird that I think that if you beat a team, you should be ranked ahead of that team, all things considered. It's another reason why I'm looking at my SC being at number six and my LSU being at number seven. And then I'm looking at them having those flip-flop in the AP. I get it. The SEC West is a juggernaut. We get that part. We know that the SEC West has been won by LSU. But one loss is still fewer than two. And I think if you're playing in a Power 5 conference, playing the kind of schedule that USC is playing, you should get rewarded for that one fewer loss than anybody else around you. But USC still control, controls its own destiny, which leads us to a brilliant part of this show. We have to tell y'all, producer Tyler, producer Cat came to me and said, RJ, we have a new word for you. I said, what's that word? You know Clemsoning? I said, yeah, of course I know Clemsoning. I've been around for Clemsoning for like 15 years. We got Oregoning. Holy smokes, y'all. All right, so check this out. Oregoning is losing to a team you shouldn't lose to late in the year, thus eliminating yourself from the college football playoff race. And usually the Pac-12 championship as well. And we've got some doozies of some examples for you all to follow us along on our journey through organing. All right. So I'm going to actually start with the latest and work backward. Okay. So the latest would be not even 24 hours ago as I'm recording 48 hours as you're listening and or watching the show. They lost to number 25, Washington, 37 to 34 as the sixth ranked team in the country in November. And this is after we'd spent weeks yelling about whether or not Oregon deserved another chance at Georgia because they weren't going to get any higher than four, and it doesn't seem like Georgia's going to fall below one in the college football playoff. And Oregon decided, hey, we don't actually want to do this either. We're just going to go lose to Washington at home, a place where we had won 23 consecutive games to our hated rival with a first-year head coach and a transfer quarterback not unlike us. Yikes. Okay, next on this list, 2021. They lost to number 24, Utah, 38 to 7. Goodness me, as the number four team in the country. That also took place in the month of November, just eight days from now, right? November 20th. Their last one was November 12th. And I'm really looking at this and I'm going, you know, I also have to add in here that uh, Utah doubled up Oregon. 
in 13 days. So in the same year where you go to the shoe and you beat the eventual Rose Bowl champions at the shoe, one of your child, your children of the Ducks leaves a rubber duck on the old block, insult to injury for them, basically knocking Ohio State out of any contention that might be for the college football playoff because they would lose to Michigan later, right? And then you lose to Utah. And then you lose to Utah again. And then Utah goes and loses to Ohio State in the Rose Bowl to just complete this real embarrassment for the Oregon Ducks. And Mario Cristobal says, you know what? I've had enough of this. I'm going back home. I'm going to Miami. Goodness me. Okay, next on this list, we got to skip past 2020 to 2019. They lost to Arizona State 31-28 to as the sixth-ranked team in the country. Unranked Arizona State, who just two years after this, excuse me, three years after this, would fire their head coach after losing to Eastern Michigan. And they lost this game in a way which I thought was really unconscionable at the time, but that's also peak Oregon. Okay, 2018, they lost to, you guessed it, number 25, Washington State, 34-20 to as the 12th ranked team in the country. This came in October, so they got this over with a little bit earlier than they normally do. But you get it. This is oregon This is what... Oregon does, and frankly, because Oregon is usually the Pac-12's best chance to get to the college football playoff and or the national championship since Pete Carroll left USC, they're taking the Pac-12 down with them. And now we're going into this week where it was supposed to always be about the Pac-12. They'd even move USC UCLA up a week ahead of Thanksgiving to try to give it some air to breathe should Chip Kelly and Lincoln Riley get that thing rolling. And it was right up until UCLA did not keep up their end. And now it's poised for UCLA to finish off its conference by beating USC because that would eliminate the Pac-12 from consideration. But also, there's no Travis Dye for USC in this game. Now, for those of y'all that did not stay up watching USC play Colorado because, well, it ain't your day job and it's mine, I'm going to fill you in. Yeah, they won 55-17. to But... They lost Travis Dye, and in losing Travis Dye, you're stuck with Austin Jones and Relique Brown. Now, Relique Brown is going to be an outstanding dude when he matures, but Austin Jones is transferring in from Stanford, and he just frankly ain't the dude that Travis Dye had been. As a matter of fact, I believe that Travis Dye is the most consistent offensive player for USC, not named Caleb Williams, and everything that Lincoln Riley wants to do offensively is predicated on being able to run the ball well. And Travis Dye had done that, and he'd been able to hold on to the rock because Oregon fans would be like, Oh, all of a sudden he's got ball security now because he didn't have that at Oregon. Had 143 uh, carries for 885 yards. He was looking like he was just going to run right through Colorado over Colorado. And this is also at a time when Alex Finch's defense only does really one thing well. I, I take that back. It's, that's unfair. They do two things well. Tackles for loss, right? They have the sack leader in the country. And takeaways. But outside of that, they're going to give up 500 yards of offense to Cal. Basically, right? They're going to give up 500 yards of offense to teams that they shouldn't. They're going to give up points to teams that they shouldn't. Now they're placing a UCLA that would like nothing more than to sully their good name by winning the city championship and also really ruin the Pac-12 forever and ever. Amen. It's going to be so much fun to watch. But if you're a Pac-12 fan, I feel bad for you. But seeing as y'all are kind of like everybody else's fans, it's like y'all don't want nobody to succeed if y'all succeed. I don't think you're taking it that bad. And, you know, you're the one, can we get to a 12-team playoff? Because, well, Larry Scott was smart enough to put us into a 14 playoff with five power conferences. But I digress. Now, from 
the Pac-12 conference where USC and UCLA are currently playing to their conference where they will be playing in years to come, the Big Ten. Yeah. Looking at this yesterday, check this out. Minnesota Northwestern played a football game in Minneapolis, Huntington Bank Stadium. I've had the privilege of going down there. It was 29 degrees and drizzling. Now, change Northwestern to USC or UCLA. Here for this. Can't, I, can't, I cannot wait for USC fans, because I think the football players are going to be just fine. Coach is going to be just fine. But for USC fans to go up to Camp Randall in November, to go up to Ann Arbor in November, I cannot wait for them to say, hey, it's too cold for all this. Yeah, this is what it means to play big boy football. Okay? Okay? Now, also big boy football means the Big Ten West is a mess. Like, for those of y'all that can't see the graphic, I'm just going to really sum it up for you very quickly. Everybody's four and three. Or so it seems, right? We've <laughs> Nobody wants to win the Big Ten West. I picked Minnesota. Now they feel like they're in a position. Quiet as it's kept my man Mo Ibrahim. He had 178 rush yards yesterday, guys, or Saturday, guys. He's had 18 consecutive 100-yard rushing games. He's the offense. And when he is the offense, Minnesota can win. Now, Big Ten Network has this tweet. I'm reading out loud. No team controls its destiny. Should be a fun final two weeks in the West. Yeah, it will be, because at the end of the day, you are playing for a banner, but you're also playing for the right to get beat down by Michigan or Ohio State. It's just the way that it is. I don't feel good about saying it, because I honestly believe that Ohio State and Michigan should be playing for the Big Ten championship proper. But because the Big Ten insists on keeping divisions, here we are waiting on Iowa, Purdue, Illinois, or Minnesota to take control of the Big Ten West only so they can get stomped on by Ohio State and Michigan. It just, it, I don't feel good saying that. I really don't. I would love to see Ohio State and Michigan have to play twice in one year. Get on that Big Ten conference, all right? Now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. From that, I want to do a feature that actually producer Tyler came up with called Diamonds in the Rough. Now, when he had hatched this idea for the number one college football show, it was an ode to something that I really enjoy doing. And, and frankly, I'd done a lot before I got to Fox Sports, which is identifying talent before everybody else got on board. It's one of the things I really love about the sport and why I consumed so much college football is became very clear to me that Travion Henderson was a dude at Hopewell, Virginia, right? It became very clear to me that Marcus Freeman was in position to be a power five head coach, let alone at a place like Notre Dame. And now I want to talk about another assistant coach who I believe is really in position to have his career take off in a truly outstanding way. And his name is Joe Gillespie. He is Texas Christian's defensive coordinator. Now, let's start with what he did against Texas, a team that they were underdogs by seven points to and whom they need to go down and face in front of 104,000 Longhorn fans on the 40 acres in prime time. All he did was hold the Texas Longhorns to their fewest amount of total yards in the Big Ten era, 199. Texas had 199 total yards in this game, the fewest they had since 1996. The next thing that he and his defense did was hold B. John Robinson 
to the fewest amount of rushing yards he's had in his career at Texas. 29 on 12 carries. Ridiculous. And then TCU's defense held Texas to its lowest offensive output since UCLA beat Texas 66-3 to in 1997. This is also the game for which famous torch lawyer Joe Jamel, who I think has more than one statue on the University of Texas campus, had given his name to the field and given a lot of money for that right and looked around, found the athletic director and said, hey, how much money to take my name off the damn field? <laughs> That's how mad he was losing to UCLA 66-3 on his name day. Okay. Now, Texas Christian, as I alluded to earlier in the week, has really, really got up to play Texas basically since 2012. They're 5-1 against the Longhorns in Austin, 8-3 overall since the big joining the Big 12 in 2012, which leads me into my favorite Gary Patterson part of the story that is Texas, because nobody likes to beat on Texas the way that Gary Patterson likes to beat on Texas, who's also a Texas assistant. 2015, he was asked on game day, what is the challenge for your defense against the University of Texas offense? To which Gary Patterson thought about it for a second and then said into a hot mic, we beaten better with less. Now, you might think that the Texas Longhorns took that personally. Well, if they did, it sure as hell did not show that day. They got beat down 50 to 7 by Texas Christian. Okay. Fort Worth putting on saying, hey, these stockyards, we will throw these horseshoes at your skull and we will get after you. And that's who Joe Gillespie is. So when I find out that the guy who had been coordinating my alma mater's defense at the University of Tulsa had accepted a job to be TCU's defensive coordinator for Sonny Dykes, I said, oh, hell. Y'all are about to get the full dose here, okay? Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory on Joe Gillespie, and then we're going to talk about what that defense does well because, frankly, it's fun, okay? So, in 2019, I'm in graduate school. I'm trying to earn my Ph.D. in English, and my buddy Jerry Ostrowski, also a, a TU alumnus, got up from his chair at the local radio station to take another job working at the University of Tulsa. And he told our bosses that I needed my own show. They said, RJ has his own show. And they said, yeah, that's Sunday mornings at church. Like he does it at 10 a.m. He needs the Monday through Friday 9 to 11 slot. And they took him at his word. So I was given the opportunity to have my first radio show coming into that summer where I frankly needed to quit going to school to pursue this career. And one of the things I was so worried about is winning the trust of the high school coaches and the college coaches in my area. Because, frankly, it's a local sports talk show, and the University of Tulsa is the local team. Outside of Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, that's what you talk about. So when Joe Gillespie is becoming the defense coordinator, I'm also getting my, my job. He had been elevated from linebacker coach to D.C. because uh, Oklahoma legend and Bill Young, no relation, had retired. And I wanted to make it my business to know what his defense was going to be because he was changing it from a four-man front, four front to a three-man front. And I said, hey, coach, we've had a 3-3 stack here before. It ain't really that much fun. I mean, Todd Graham tried to run it. It was fine, but I don't think it's going to be any good. To which Joe Gillespie really was kind to me. He took 20 minutes out to explain to me how his defense was going to work. RJ, what I'm going to need here, I'm going to need a couple of guys that can line up at a foot nine, squeeze down on a tight end, can run on the back end, give me some tackles for loss. After that, we're going to fill, 
We're going to give you a phantom look every single time. We're going to mess up your box count because you're going to see six guys in the box and you're going to say, hey, we got numbers with seven and I'm going to fool you because I got an extra safety over here that's going to come downhill from 12 yards deep and he's going to slap your running back right in the mouth. And I said, coach, I believe it when I see it. Well, doggone it. <laughs> he turned out David Collins out of Hominy, Oklahoma, as a foot nine who could do anything. Squeeze down on that tight end, run in the back end, get your interceptions, return them for touchdowns. He turned Jackson Player, a zero technique, into a monster because he could occupy two offensive linemen at one time. He said, we're going to have two five techniques, and then I'm going to squeeze one over to a three so we can bring down a fourth rusher, and we're going to disguise everything that we do. And I said, goodness me, how do I not know about this man until he gets to the University of Tulsa? I'll tell you how. Because until he came to the University of Tulsa, he had coached his entire career, played his entire career in the state of Texas. So this man comes up playing at Stephenville High School, graduating in 1990, to four-year letterman in Angelo State. But at that time, Art Browse had just become head coach at Stephenville, and they hadn't made the playoffs for about 35 years. Back to 37 years, 1952 to 1989, Stephenville did not make the Texas high school playoffs. Our brows went out there and said, we're going to run three, four, and five wide. We're going to run about 15 or 20 plays, but we're going to have options off of all of those plays, and we're going to run it up. And by the time that he's done at Stephenville, they had won the state championship 1993, 1994, 1998, 1999. Okay? They'd set national records for offense in a year with over 8,600 yards. Joe Gillespie had joined that staff in the mid-90s and was watching what Art Browse was able to do to everybody else and said, damn it, I got to come up with a way to stop that. Also on that squad, Philip Montgomery, head coach at the University of Tulsa, being a, a running back coach and offensive coordinator. He eventually goes with Bryles to Houston and then to Baylor. But my man Joe Gillespie stays at Stephenville. And he picks right up where his mentor in Art Bryles and mentor in Mike Copeland had left off. By the time that he had finished his seven seasons as the head coach at Stephenville, he had won 72 games and a state championship as a head coach. When his buddy Philip Montgomery said, hey, I need you to come up to Tulsa and I need you to coach linebackers. That man packed up his family, moved to Tulsa, spent three years coaching backers with a thick Texas draw kind of man that says coach, right? And turned those dudes out. Then he got an opportunity to take over the defense and said, I'm going to run the one I know how to run because we just don't have Chase Young or Nick Bosa at the edge. What we do have is a bunch of skinny, fast dudes that know how to play ball. So I'm going to populate the defense with safeties that love to hit people, with outside linebackers that are skinny enough to stand up and run backward, but big enough to shirk off a left tackle, get underneath him with a swim move, and get to the quarterback. Okay. By the time we all figure out what kind of dude Joe Gillespie is, Stephen Villa turned out Kevin Cobb, Jevin Sneed, and Jared Stidham, but we hadn't been talking about the defense. So he gets this job at TCU this year, and I'm hearing people going, He's running 3-3-5. We're a 4-2-5 team. I said, no, you're a 4-2-5 team with Gary Patterson. I watched his 3-3-5 work at the University of Tulsa. I watched him win TU games. It had no business winning because they just kept other people from scoring. And a lot of that was, frankly, because he made the game simple for his players. He made it easy. All you do is read the keys and go. We play fast. We play hard. Now he is back near home doing an outstanding job where he's going to rival Jim Knowles and Sharon Moore and Matt Weiss and Jesse Minter for the Broyles Award after having been a Broyles Award finalist at the University of Tulsa, okay? I'm telling you, 
Joe Gillespie's going to get an opportunity. It's just whether or not he's going to want to take it because of the man that is pure Texan, loves the state of Texas, loves to fish and hunt, had a, a, a daughter that went to the University of Tulsa, and that's about as far as it gets, right? Everybody else is right there around home. Sonny Dykes got to see what this offense was about, what, what, excuse me, what this defense was about at SMU and said, goodness me, I'm going to go get that guy if I can. And now we're talking about Texas Christian controlling its own destiny to get into the college football playoff for the first time in school history. We're talking about Texas Christian being 10-0 with a first-year head coach, the first head coach in Big 12 history to do that in Sonny Dykes. And I can't tell you how thrilled I am to know a man like Joe Gillespie is getting his moment against Steve Sarkeesian. Mr. I beat you with, uh, I, I won that championship with Mac Jones. Mr. I had Najee Harris. I had Devontae Smith. I had two a tongue of a lower. I look, if you can go up against him and you could frustrate Quinn Ewers, the number one overall recruit in the 2022 class, into going 17 to 39 from 171 with pick, there ain't a whole hell of a lot you can't do. Now, I think it's gonna happen for him the way that it happened for Dave Aranda, right? You're gonna get to the playoff and then you're gonna have to tell people what you're not gonna do or that you don't want to go anywhere. But the more I look at his career. And the more I see the players that come to play for him and how they talk about him, the better I feel about that, dude. Tex Christian, you, you struck gold. I don't know if you know that or not. You're probably focusing on Sonny and Garrett Riley, and for good reason. Focusing on Max Duggan, Kendra Miller, and Quentin Johnston. But I would really be interested to find out what those players are still having to say about their first-year coordinator and what he says about them. Because I tell you, you're probably going to find some jewels. Speaking of jewels... Producer Tyler found some video that is outstanding. And to do it, we got to go into Division Three powerhouse Mount Union, stunning Baldwin Wallace on this Hail Mary. Now, I'm describing this as you're watching it. And if you have an opportunity, please go to the YouTube channel to see it if you're listening on the podcast. Because this is remarkable. Okay? Run that back. Because Mount Union quarterback Braxton Plunk, Threw a 48-yard Hail Mary TD pass to Wayne Ruby Jr. as time expired to give Mountain Union a 23-21 victory and its 33rd Ohio Athletic Conference Championship. Plunk's pass bounced off the helmet of a Baldwin-Wallace cornerback, poor guy, and into Ruby's hands just inside the two-yard line, and Ruby stumbled into the end zone. It's really a fantastic play. It's happenstance. It's up there with what App State was able to do earlier this year in their Hail Mary. And you could see the joy from these Mountain Union players as they piled onto their man, Wayne Ruby, in the end zone. It's fantastic. It's uh, got the kind of crowd that you would expect at a D3 game. But I'm glad somebody was there with some camera to watch number six catch this ball and to see these Mountain Union players come and celebrate with him. Also adding here, if you're paying attention, you know that Mountain Union has also turned out some outstanding coaches. Like Larry Karras was just doing that. Matt Campbell, Alex Grinch, Jason Candle. That's three off the top of my head. That's the head coach at Toledo, the head coach at Iowa State, and the defense coordinator at USC all played at Mountain Union. And I'm sure that when they see this clip, because I'm sure it was sent to them, they feel some kind of way about it too. All right, that is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is Kyle Holly. Our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our lead of screening is Rachel Cohn. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all live Tuesday night to talk about the college football playoff rankings. Deuces.